Today's Back Pocket Podcast is sponsored by MB Outdoors, an adventure lifestyle and apparel brand aimed at sharing the excursions taken on all trails outside the hustle of suburbia. Shares the images captured by adventures from all walks of life. Planning or already resting from your camp trip in northern Minnesota or your kayak trip down to the Colorado River. Share your story with the brand that has the vision to share those magical moments and experiences outdoors. Make sure to join MB Outdoors team by repping a shirt or hat on your next excursion outside. And when you go on to mboutdoors.com, go ahead and use promo code BACKPOCKET for 15% off. That's us, BACKPOCKET, B-A-C-K-P-O-C-K-E-T, and you'll get 15% off any purchase you make on mboutdoors.com. Kick it to the intro. Today is April 22nd, and the boys from the back pocket are back. Declan Brown, how's it going? We're feeling great. It's uh, just a phenomenal Monday. I'm excited to get after it. we got a huge show today. Um, really uh, new average quality. We've never had this kind of uh, topic before. Format. Yeah, format, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, tried something new there. Um, it's witty. I like it. Um, then we're bringing it back to, uh, I don't know if a lot of people remember this one, but the decals eye in the sky. Phenomenal segment there. Um, and then we're doing the decals eye in the sky because we are trying to be more aware, trying to be more, uh, we're trying to utilize our sensory, sensor acuity, is that mm-hmm. what we call it? Yeah. Tony Capra is our guest on today. Um, and he talks all kind. he just gives, he's one of our best interviews, I think, so far. And if you're from the land of 10,000 lakes, he's your man. Oh, he is like your icon ass. of your state. Oh, absolutely. 100%. I think we when we capitalized on the Minnesota market with yeah. Tony Capra. Yeah, so. And he's an Italian, so I always enjoy talking to a fellow yeah. Italian. And he is just phenomenal. So I can't wait for our uh, guest today, Tony Capra, just a phenomenal guy. Um, but before we get to him, uh, let's start off with our average quality. Um, today is apple, orange, banana. Andrew, would you like to elaborate on this a little bit? Yeah, so I created a Twitter poll just uh, 24 hours ago. And Should we recreate it after this, just to see what people are thinking? Maybe. Okay. We'll think about it. We'll see how this little segment goes. Sure. Um, so, the Twitter poll was an average uh, fruit. What's the most average? And okay. I posted apple, orange, banana. Because back in, about a year ago, a little over a year ago, Jack Doomer was sitting at a hotel lobby bar. And we were sitting there about to have dinner. And, um, or having dinner, and he placed his order, and the waitress said... Apple, orange, banana, and he and he panicked, and he just said orange for dinner. It was just a, it was a tough. Oh wait, did he like order? And then this was like the side. This she was, was like, the side. She was like, "What uh, what fruits do you want?" And Jack was like, uh, "Well, what are the options?" And she just goes, "Apple, orange, banana, apple, orange, banana." And <laughs> Doomer, it heard he heard it so fast, and it was he didn't really know how to react. It was like a jingle, and it happened so fast. Yeah, like you said, and just he didn't know what to do. You've panicked, and what did you choose? He said he chose an orange? He chose orange. Wow. Um, so now, is this more of a debate, which one's the most average fruit then? I think we just, we get to pick which one we think is the most average okay. fruit. What do you think? I think an apple, uh, because it just lacks um, a flavor punch, I'd say. I think when you bite into an apple, it's just like, it's consistent. 
True. It's not gonna. There's like. Uh, it's not gonna wow you. It's not gonna wow. It's you. not like a kiwi or uh, even an mango, orange or a mango. Orange for sure. You can tell when it's like a nice plump orange, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and all you have to do is stick it under the sink. Yeah. Wash it and then eat your apple. Well, yeah. It, the, now that's even another debate. Do you wash your apples? Yes. Okay. Okay. Pesticides. Well, yeah. Sure. I, you never know what's on your apple, right? Mm. Um, what about a banana? I feel like a banana is pretty consistent too. I mean, it's all one color. Um, it's you, you buy them ripe, right? No. What what are what are what's what are the, what's it called when it's green? A banana? Yeah. An unripened banana. An unripened. Yeah. So you buy them unripened. That's just a hot take for all those out, all the marketing interns out there when they're uh, starting to go grocery shopping every once in a while. You never want to buy the ones that are already ripe because then they just go bad so fast. But if you buy the unripened ones, then they last longer, and you have a lot, lot longer time to eat your, you know, stack of twelve bananas or however many you bought. So, anyways, but I think the banana is probably the most consistent, right? Just put full of potassium. Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, I mean it's full of potassium. It tastes the same. Um, apples. There's like a million different kinds of apples. You got the Honey Crisp. You got the Red. You got the Granny Smith. You got all these different like kinds. Like I don't know where they're all coming from, but. You know, pretty uh, you know, pretty important uh, to note that bananas. There's only one type of banana, as far as I'm concerned, right? Um, you know, I do remember hearing there was another banana in Hawaii when I was down there. I can't remember the name of it. Um, okay. What was it? Do you need to look it up. Yeah, I'm gonna try to look it up. Okay. But there are different type of bananas, and I don't think that they really taste much different, though. Yeah, but I think, would you agree that the bananas are probably the most consistent average, like, fruit? I'd agree with the the consistency from banana to banana. Okay. Yes. From From apple to apple, they could be different. Yeah, it's not... From orange to orange, you're you're probably getting the same. Yeah, and some people are, like, thinking cuties are orange now. Oh, that's... uh, It's a clementine. Yeah, it's a clementine. Sheesh. So um, what's your most average fruit? I'm gonna apple, go, orange, banana. Or do you have a hot take, one of them that's not even in the poll? Oh, I'm not I'm not deviating from this list because these okay. are three, you know, if you're going to pick on all the fruits, these are the three you're going to land on. Yep. Um, I'm definitely going with banana just because, like, it's such a underestimated and, like, always passed over fruit, especially when it's, like, brown. And, like, when people understand is, like, when the when the banana gets brown and it's, like, at its feeble state, that's when it's, like, the best. It's full of... The most nutrients as well. Yeah. It's the healthiest banana. Correct. And so I always, that's like, my always my go-to is the one that's like the most brown, but... It looked like it went through 12 rounds fighting Mike Tyson. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Not like the actual, not when you peel it away and it's brown, that's when you like stay away from it because, you know, it just looks gross. Yeah. But it's so good, you know. I just, I care about bananas. I think, uh, I think that's just where I stand. Okay. I'm going to stick with my apples. Okay. Apples are my most average fruit. So you're just saying just because when you bite into it, you know it's an apple no matter what? Just the flavor of an apple. Okay. Is just average. Yeah. Okay. Even though I do love apples. I always have them for breakfast. Yeah. One apple an apple a day keep, keeps the doctor away. Yes. I, I know you're about to say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. Good. It's, I like it. Um, well done. <laughs> pat, pat, pat ourselves on the back of yeah, that segment. That, 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 was, might, that might that continue fire. forward. <laughs> yeah. That was wild. All right. Let's trap the puck and move on to our first segment of the day. We're bringing back Decal's Eye in the Sky, and this is the segment where, you know, our co-host Declan is just, he's keeping his eye out. He's he's above the population, and he notices nuances that maybe other people aren't aware of. Yeah, and you know, it's called Decal's Eye in the Sky, but 
I want to also throw you in there. You're always keeping your eye out as well. As a podcaster, you always have to do that. It's mm-hmm. one of our fiduciary duties. Um, but you're, I mean, you definitely have been keeping your eye out for things. You have a couple things to add on this. I sure do. Might, might I say. Um, but yeah, let's get right to it. These are things that I've noticed, um, I don't know, in the past couple months that have just kind of hit my radar and I kind of wrote down. The uh, first one is, uh, it's more of a question and more of just a, a thing I noticed. Okay. Um, why is every old Disney star, like, why are they all back on Netflix now all of a sudden? Hmm. Have you ever not, noticed that? I have not noticed it. So the Fuller House, that's a Nickelodeon, but like, okay, I, okay did, I said Disney star, but I meant like childhood, childhood stars. So like Corey in the house, he's in a Ripped, oh, that, that movie, 420. Yep. We watched that the other day. Um, you got, uh, isn't like That's So Raven on its way back? It definitely got a, it rejuvenated on Disney Channel, I think. Yeah, yeah. but um, there's another one. Uh, I, I just mentioned it, didn't I? Um, Full Fuller, Fuller House, that's on there. There's like all these different Disney stars that are on Netflix now. And I think we can uh, no, uh, take note of this because we like bringing back nostalgia segments. Yeah. I guess society likes nostalgia, bringing back like childhood, seeing them as an adult. Yeah. And probably they have nothing else going for them, so they'll the actor themselves. Like they kind of peaked already, so yeah. now they're just kind of. They need something. Yeah. So they're so when the producers came to back to them, like, hey, we want to do a, a new show on or make the show. I mean, it's genius, right? Yeah. I mean, you bring back some like our our age group, our demographic watches Netflix more than anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, why not bring back the childhood stars? That's worth a click, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you see like Zach and Cody in a show, I don't know if they're even on there, but I would I'd probably click on that. Duly noted. Yeah, duly noted. Hmm. Something to think about. Um, next one, uh, we have to be a Vegas Knights podcast, right? Las Vegas Knights. The yeah, hockey when team. you when you mentioned this the other day, uh, thank you, Michael Hannon, for uh, making note of this. Your eye is definitely in the sky. Yeah. Um, we are one hundred percent a Vegas podcast. And you want to elaborate why? Um, yeah, I remember you explained this last year. Um, when the Vegas Knights first started and like how they were able to form their team. So that's first off, we jumped on board Vegas right away. We've been a Vegas a podcast ago. before they even played their first game. Yeah. So do you want to explain how they acquired when they first started? Just to reiterate for all the people that didn't listen. Sure. So allegedly, this is what I know most. I believe this is how it works: is the team can protect eight players or eight to twelve players that cannot be t- um, taken from other teams. Okay. So when Vegas is starting, they have no players, so they're taking one player from each team, and the Blackhawks, Wild, etc., can all protect around eight to twelve players, okay. and then there's some contract. Some players in their contract have no trade clause, so they can't get those guys. So then, the Golden Knights have the um, opportunity to take anybody else from those teams. So they plucked probably the most average player, the top of the line average player from each team, and they created uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah, and. That how does that not represent us, right? That is us to a T. Right. And they are what, the two seed in the playoffs right now? And they're the one seed and they just swept the Kings and looking to make a run for the Stanley Cup. I don't think a a first year uh what would you call them? Uh first year creation team? I don't know. Yeah. First year team has ever just won the Stanley Cup. No, that's all over sports people people saying like the uh, NHL needs to fix this because how can you allow a team that just started they need to go through tribulation and well, struggle. I bet when they first came up with it they're like, "Hey, why don't we just give them every average player from every team that no one wants mm-hmm. and then they can just start from there." Well, it turns out the average player is uh something to talk about. And when you put a bunch of average dudes together um to create something, 
seems like uh, they can do some damage, and they have. The oh, Vegas okay. Knights are a living le- or a living legend and a living example of what Andrew and I try to do every day. I was about to say, to perfectly transition there, <laughs> I think we are um, on the same pathway as yeah. Vegas, yeah. allegedly. Like, First year podcast, we, we nailed it. First year, <laughs> Golden Knights, they nailed it. Yeah, year two, I'm excited to see what the Golden Knights bring to the Biggest improvement between year one and year two, mm-hmm. podcasting and playing hockey. I love it. Um, here's another one. Uh, this one, I was thinking about this when I was uh, running on the treadmill on Saturday. Um, I was, I'm wondering why they haven't created a gym that harnesses the energy from people's movements. So like if you created huh? Like hamsters? Pretty much. But like if you connected every treadmill and like buy 30 treadmills, set them all in a line, like they do it every lifetime, every place and just harness that energy of like the treadmill moving, right? Mm -hmm. That's energy created. That's work being done. Then you have the bike, same concept. Think of the hamster uh, running and turning the light bulb on. If you just harnessed all that energy, I bet you could get enough energy from eight hours of that day to, like, turn lights on in the room or, you know, like, de- take away some of your electricity bill. I don't yeah. know. Something to, something to think about. I don't think you can necessarily do it with, like, bench, like, squat, all the the machines because that's so... Maybe machines that machines, are not free weights. Right. If it's not free weights, yeah, maybe machines too because it's so, you know, stable. repetitive and stable, yeah. Something to think about. I feel like that's... A possibility, right? I mean, it's, I don't know why no. Have you googled it? Is there something out there like that? Uh, no. You want to you want to Google it real quick? Just say. Uh, um, no, it doesn't look like there's anything out there. I think uh, let's put a patent on it. Okay. Say we, the back pocket patent. We have a few patents now. Yeah. A verbal handshake with our marketing interns yeah. to don't agree. tell anyone about this. Like, we'll, we'll make you part of it. You'll, you'll you will receive. If profits. you want any inquiries, uh, just reach out to us um, at the back pocket podcast on Instagram. Um, you can find us on Facebook at slash the back pocket podcast or twitter underscore the back pocket any others andrew are we anywhere else we're everywhere yeah find us on the streets in mm-hmm. st paul word of mouth yeah <laughs> you can see us everywhere uh, uh i got a, a, a thing to note here you go uh i believe since uh the sun has been transitioning to being a little a little warmer okay jean you're jackets, staying ahead of this yeah okay jean jackets and denim are absolutely in and they're in full force i was at uh spring jam at the hub of a college campus, one of the largest campuses in the in the uh, U.S. Okay, and wow. I'd say um, one in three people were wearing people or women. People, wow, were wearing dudes are wearing. Oh yeah, wow. We were sitting at a dinner last night at Annie's parlor, and Matt Heron, Kobe, Maria, and um, Annie were all wearing jean jackets, and that left myself and Faith. Without jean jackets. Wow. So they, that was like a 67% turnout of denim. Yeah. That's out of control. And that's the number we're looking for, too. You know, and that anywhere from 60 to 69, that's mm-hmm. kind of where we where we lie as a podcast. Yes. That's, that's when we normal. take heavy note of different things. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, we That's like us, too. We, we had a denim party for our one year. Um, you know, we were big connoisseurs of the back pockets, which are on jeans, denim, you know, we're we're kind of right there. We're in the mix of things. Would we? Would can we say that we rejuvenated the are denim we, movement? Yeah, are we responsible for uh, denim being back? I think so. I think we're definitely part of it. I think we need to make that known to people that we're the reason denim's back. Um, you know what? Something else is back though. I um, speaking of you know fashion, uh, Skyline Specs are back. 
And I don't know if they were ever here, but they're in. Skyline Specs. I don't, I don't know if they were ever gone. Yeah, they never left. You know what's never left is people wearing sunglasses outside when it's sunny. Mm. Um, but Skyline Specs are great glasses. Um, they're one of our sponsors. We love Skyline Specs. Every time I go outside, I always try and wear them. Um, they're just looking fresh. I know you wore them at Spring Jam yesterday, right? I wore them along with um, several other people that I ran into. We were all having a little Skyline Specs you know, camaraderie party. Powwow. Powwow. I believe, is it Scott Ballard? Scott Ballard. Scotty he Skylines. Was, Scotty Skylines was there, and he had a few of his buddies, and we were just supporting our Skyline specs out there because the sun was out. We had these polarized sunglasses. We were in Minneapolis with a Skyline on the side of our sunglasses. I mean, people were looking at us in awe. And if you want to be a part of this, go ahead to SkylineSpecs.com. And use promo code BACKPOCKET because we'll give you 15% off. Yeah, and you buy those Skyline Specs, you wear those Skyline Specs, and, you know, if you're from Minneapolis, then you support the Minneapolis Skyline. But if you're from L.A., if you're from Chicago, Denver, maybe even uh, if you're a big Red Rocks connoisseur, a big concert venue in Denver, uh, maybe you wear some of those because they um, are just expanding your brand. Or a business, you're trying to throw a business together, trying to get some specs up with your logo on it, Skyline Specs can engrave your logo on the side as well. So lots of opportunities there for Skyline Specs. Um, like Andrew said, promo code back pocket. That's us, 15% off. These uh, glasses are phenomenal. They'll last you forever. You're just going to be looking fly. So um, I think that does it with decals eye in the sky. Yeah. I think we hit everything we needed to. Yeah. So make sure everyone's you know, keeping note of these things um, and just making it, you know, maybe post it out there. You know, when you see someone in the denim jacket, you're like, thank you guys from the back pocket or um decals eye in the sky you know tag us let us know that it's there because we want to know and we want proof we want living proof from our marketing interns that it's around and it's about and it's here absolutely um so let's kick into this interview fantastic interview another one that you feel motivated to get after your daily routine and be more aware of not only the things that you're trying to accomplish but what else is going around you while you're moving throughout the day yeah how can you get better um you know it's it's great to have laser focus on one thing at a time and doing something to the best of your ability using that laser focus, but being aware of what everybody else is doing and using that as motivation to help yourself be better, using that, uh, he call, Tony Capper calls it sensory acuity or sensor acuity, and uh, just being aware of everything that's going on and using little tidbits here and there to create your own ideas, to spark some interest, something like that, gives us a great input on that. He also talks about hunting and fishing and his passion, how he's followed his passion his whole life. Something that everyone can learn from. I'm excited. Should we get to it? Let's do it. Today's guest is an exciting guest. We're excited to have him on. His name's Tony Capra, and he's an entrepreneur himself, well-established, and he's a true Minnesotan. I think this is our first guest that we can say we've finally harnessed in and found um, what our market really wants is Minnesotans, and we found the true Minnesotan and Tony Capra. So let's welcome Tony Capra. Thanks, guys. It's great to be here. It yes. really is. Thank you so much. And not only are you from Minnesota and we're saying that, but from your voice, uh, it's fairly evident that you have the thickest Minnesota accent. It's <laughs> phenomenal. And that's exactly uh, what Andrew and I were looking for. Um, in addition to that, though, we're also, um, we also know Andrew and I aren't fishermen per se, but uh, we do our research and we know fishing season's coming up. People are getting uh, very excited. Um, we know you're the man to go to for fishing and hunting. Um, so before we get into that, um, we ask this to all our guests. Andrew and I um, do things great sometimes. We do things poorly other times. But at the end of the day, we're kind of average in our own ways. Um, so therefore, what is your average quality? 
Well, you know, I started uh, my first job I had when I was 15 years old. And, um, you know, the rest of my life I spent in business at, at one point or another. And I think that the biggest challenge for, you know, my generation is I spent half my time without the Internet, without the computer, you know, growing up. It wasn't something that was installed in me early on. It's something that I had to learn. And even to this day, I'm not an expert at it by no means. And, and I think I'm behind the curve, you know, when it comes to just the whole technology and, and the rate in which it's, it's changing. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I'm behind the curve, and I'll be the first one to admit that. Um, you, you know that it, it's not real good for your ego when you got to go to a 12-year-old and say, hey, how do I do this on my phone? <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's a problem. Yes. It, it's kind of a blast to your ego, but uh, that that would be uh, maybe even a below-average quality. How's that? I mean, that, I completely understand that. I, my dad is very similar in those ways where he will come to my brothers and I and be like, hey, like I... All these people are doing this on their phone. I have no idea how to do. It. Like, you need to help me. And um, there's like it's so advanced, and it just it changes by like that. Every update you change your phone, and something will switch around. And it's like, why do you keep switching? And I just learned how to do this way. Why do you keep moving? Yeah, when the iPhone gives them gives us a new update, and everything's totally totally changed, changed. and things are in different places mm-hmm. all of a sudden. Uh, another thing too is when we're trying to get people to subscribe to the podcast, like marketing interns. The one of the first requirements to be a marketing intern is you got to subscribe on iTunes or YouTube. Um, but explaining to people where the podcast app is on their phones, and then telling them how to subscribe is like far more tedious of a process than it really should be. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, I mean, our listeners even have that techni- technology like um, deficiency. They can't figure out how to listen to our podcast <laughs> because they don't know the, like, the proper method to get to it. So it's an, it's an every person problem. And You're not alone. For that and, and I yeah. don't think it's going away either. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> the technology isn't going to stop. And I, and I really think from a marketing perspective that somewhere there's an opportunity there to gap that, especially with an older generation. Think about it, guys. You're having issues with it. Imagine a guy, I'm 54 years old, you know, and the guy's even older than me. You know, how they're, I mean, how do you, you know, get that knowledge? And, and, I, and I really do think that there's probably a great business opportunity in that point there alone. Yes, and uh, that's something that I've actually been trying to pursue myself right now. Um, and trying to find a job in um, digital consulting where um, my job would be going into the back end of companies and trying to make their websites and like their technology function mm-hmm. more user friendly and more um, so like point of sales and stuff like that that has um, the company has like a uniformity to it and the consumers can use this uniform um, platform more um friendly because it's such an issue today with people going onto a website and trying to find how to add it to your shopping cart and hit submit and stuff like that because every website's different so and that has nothing to do with your product yes which is even crazier to think about too is the reason that you're not getting sales is just strictly because of the technology barrier correct that's a great point yeah that's an excellent point because i notice it myself all the time I mean, I won't buy things because I don't know how to buy them, <laughs> okay? Especially offline. I'll walk into a store and buy one, you know, immediately. But sometimes there is that technology. So, I mean, great point, guys. Yeah, great yeah. point. And it's definitely difficult now that people closing down those brick-and-mortar stores. Like, it's like forcing you to become um, tech-savvy, tech savvy, yet the tech-savviness isn't 
very friendly enough for you to become like efficient at it. They keep yeah. changing it on you. So well, and the sure. demographic that comes back to my original point: the demographic of of the you know the the purchaser or the buyer of that is compressed down to a younger age group. What about the people that are in that? 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Yeah, some of them have learned it, but are you capturing that entire market? So when, when these companies are going after, a, you know, saying, well, the whole thing is social media, well, how much of your market are you missing? Do you see my point? You're yeah. missing. You're, you've, you've compressed it down to a point that you're only hitting a demographic that's, let's say, 15 to 30. You're missing the 50 to 80-year-olds, which are, in a lot of cases, the people that have the money. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. That's an excellent point. And that's something, again, with this podcast that we've been trying to expand the market, um, Facebook is like taps into it a little bit because some of the generation of the older have f- finally created profiles. And like we use Facebook to try to tap into the older generation. But another way we were, just, like, we were thinking about was like a newsletter or flyers and stuff Email like that. Subscription. Email subscriptions because that's something that m- many people have is email so creating the newsletter is something that would update them yeah. monthly or weekly and also it's very consistent i don't email isn't really going anywhere but all these social media apps are changing how um each everyone interacts on the social media app so like instagram changes the, their algorithm every you know how whenever they really want they have entire control of it where an email subscription is completely controlled by the business or the podcast in our case. Um, so that's really one area that we think that we can really hit because it's just strictly under our control. We say we want to hit, give you guys two emails a week, mm-hmm. let you know how the back pocket's doing with a couple new episodes here and there. We're not there to, you know, bother you about just like new deals yeah, and buy just, this you know, stop by this or whatever. Informational. Like, yeah. Informational stuff. Um, but Hey, one hell of an average quality and, you know, open a can of worms for sure. Yes. <laughs> um, but one thing that you mentioned was, you know, right when you're 15, um, you know, you kind of were born in that pre-internet era and have had to really learn. But um, take us back to, like, your early life. And um, I mentioned earlier that you were big into fishing and hunting. How did you, like, find that passion um, for fishing and hunting? Because you grew up in Minnesota, correct? Like, yeah. You've been in Minnesota yeah, your whole life? Yeah, been in Minnesota my entire life. And, awesome. Um you know, when I was young, it, I grew up in the Twin Cities here. spent my entire life here. But, um, you know, we had a cabin. My parents had a cabin up in northern Minnesota. So I would, from the time that every weekend we left the cities and went up to the cabin, northern Minnesota, a little lake called Little Boy um, in Longville, Minnesota. And in the summer we fished, and in the fall we, we hunted. And so, I mean, it just became um, part of, of, of who I was. You know what I mean? From the, the very beginning. Um, so I, I think it was something that my parents may have installed in me. But I mean, it, it was a passion. And, and don't get me wrong. I played all the other sports. I played every sport there was um, towards the end, uh, you know, in, in like high school and that. I primarily, it was, it was football and, and I was boxing. It was a Golden Gloves boxer. And then uh, my fishing tournaments. I mean, I started my first fishing tournament, too, when I was like 14 or 15. It was a walleye tournament up on Mille Lacs with my dad. You know, back then they, they, they didn't even have age limits on it. So, I mean, I have 14, 15, and I was only picked because my dad couldn't find another partner, so he took me with. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Honest to God. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, but the, the tournament fishing later on became a big part of my life. 
you know, for probably the next 20 years, it, I was a dedicated. And, and what it was, was with, with tournament fishing, was I loved the competition. You know, the competition made me better. It, it forced me to, uh, out, of, out of my comfort zone, you know, to step up all the different things. And um, even to this day, I mean, I, it's, it's no different than, you know, you guys playing football. When you step out on that field, you can do all the practice you want, play all the scrimmages, but when it's a real game, it's a whole new level of intensity. But going off that, with like you're finding the passion with fishing and hunting, mm-hmm. and then turning that into maybe a business. Um, the backstory behind that, the, the willingness to turn a passion into a business, the entrepreneur um, in you, the competition pushing you to those limits. I was just like an, a broad question that how did you get started into that? In the actual... Just entrepreneurship uh, and passion to, you know, follow, make a business out of something that you're passionate about. Yeah, and the entrepreneur word, you know, to me, is a really big word. And I remember when I was younger, I, I thought that it was a word that was, you know, unattainable. So I never really used the word entrepreneur. I mean, just because I, I always said it was just a businessman. Mm-hmm. But I, I honestly believe that it was the competition that, that you know, you, you take the competition and you take them same traits and put it into a business aspect. And there's several traits that, whether it be a business person, you know, or somebody that's in, in a sports-type scenario, like our tournament fishing, I think there's a lot of them that are, are parallel, okay, that if you're successful at one, you're going to be successful at the other, and vice versa. And so, um, you know, I, I just think that it's it's a, there's a crossover there that the competition is one aspect that gets you there. Yes, and I some things that I try to harp on going through the business interview process right now, trying to you know sell myself, my brand, um, and learning that competition aspect from sports and transferring it to business. I I try to harp on like the ambition, the the self motivation, really grit and tenacity to just like be. Um, willing to step up yourself. You don't need others necessarily to boost you up. You can handle these situations on your own, but you know when to ask for help and you know when you're struggling. So you use these resources, um, trying to use that knowledge that I've learned on the football field, being in a position where um, things happen in milliseconds. You need to be in this position right away or you're letting the guy to the right of you down because he knows you're supposed to be outside of this receiver who's breaking on an in route. And if you're not there, then everyone loses trust in you because the next time he runs that slant, they don't know if you're going to be there. So they change their, they overcompensate. So like, how am I going to utilize that situation and bring that to the business platform? Well, I can think quick on my feet and I understand how one action is going to lead to another and affect others in my own corporation. Um, and it's hard because I'm so used to doing it on a football field in an athletic competition situation. Yeah. So how am I going to do it with a suit and tie on? But um, that's something I, I'm looking forward to because I want to carry that over. Those are the things that I'm most excited about. Yeah, and I think one thing that's super, very different is you got to be consistent every single day. And it's not just one game every week. It's every single day you show up to work at 8 o'clock. And this is us blindly assuming this because you know, we haven't had these real jobs yet. But... I know that it's at least a Monday through Friday deal, mm-hmm. so we can get that started. But how have you, um, you know, stayed consistent with your passions for fishing and hunting? How have you not deviated or you know got distracted by other shiny things that make may make more money initially? You know, I think that the answer and that lies in in the word itself, passion. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're passionate about you know something, I think that that drives you more than anything, and and 
you know, I've, I've talked about this in the past that, you know, a lot of times, you know, the younger people haven't really found their passion and they say, well, I'm not sure what my passion is, but that's all right. If you don't know what your passion, your true core, core passion is at this time, then what you need to do is under, be passionate about the road leading to your passion, if that makes sense. Whether yeah. it's, you know, you might not like the, the classes you're taking or the job you're in currently, okay? But you, as long as you believe in yourself and you know that that's heading in the right direction, be passionate that you're working on it today towards the end, end goal. And, and I think that that's a mistake that a lot of people make is they, they give up because they say, well, I don't have the passion. No, man, you got to be passionate about whatever you're doing right now or put the goal out there. The other way to do it is, is to put the goal out there and say, okay, I want this specific goal and understand every step you take is leading towards that end goal. That's something to be passionate about. Yes. So, and what was that thing that started when you were 15 or whenever you started um, if you, your business career? What was the um, that first step that kind of opened the doors to saying this is something that I can continue to do? Um, something that you're good at. And something I'm good at. I mean, maybe take our marketing interns a, the, down the path of um, how you started your business. Um, what were the initial steps that went through that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, with me, it was kind of, a, that, that's a difficult question because I've been involved in so many different businesses. Sure, I know. And uh, it's like we were talking, you know, one business spawned another business, spawned another business. And so... Uh, for, for me, I think that the, the biggest, well, let, let me back up. You know, one of my first ones, a quick story here. Um, 12 years old, I'm on, up hunt at the cabin. And I'm with my, my dad and my brother, and we're going to make a little drive. And it's a little chunk of woods with a river on the backside. And I get lost, okay? And I end up so lost in this woods, I have no idea where I'm at. Um, I end up walking on a river that the ice is probably two inches thick. I could have went through and died, okay? But So I was so panicked from getting lost in the woods that I never forgot that. Five years later, I invented a product that was called Trail Tape back in the day, and I had, I had seen some flagging on the side of a road one day, and it was a blaze orange flagging, and I looked at that, and immediately I went back to that time that I was lost in the woods, and I said, you know what? People could use this to go into the woods and make markers and have a trail and they'd get back. You know, now I'm only at this point like 17, 18 years old, but I recognized the fact that there was there was a product that was needed, nothing out there, and I and I basically, you know, found a uh, found a source on it, got all the packaging, did everything myself. And at the time my dad was a, a fishing tackle and hunting sales rep. I had him go sell the stuff for me and I ended up producing it. And so uh, there's, a, there's a term I use a lot called sensory acuity, and it's a, it's a term that was coined by somebody else, but it's, it's just being aware of, of your surroundings and what's going on. And, and we'll probably get into that more later on other subjects, but, I mean, I, I think that in many cases, you know, business success is started with sensory acuity. Being aware, yes, you've got to have the mechanics and you've got to have the drive, but one of the biggest things is that sensory acuity. Okay. 
I say we expand a little bit on that right now. If you would like to, censor <laughs> acuity. So, who do you know who coined or how you? Yeah, Tony be, Robbins. Tony Robbins. Oh, Tony okay. Robbins. Okay. Um, He's like the motivational. Yeah. Speaker. And I, yep. Um, okay. And how'd that come into your life? An easier way to explain sensory acuity, at least in my application, is in fishing. Fishing and hunting. Okay. The most accomplished fishermen on the planet. I've been involved and fished with and did television shows with some of the very best tournament anglers truly on the planet. The best fishermen there is. And, you know, they've got a handful of common traits. Okay. And one of them is the sensory acuity. And what I mean by that is they're uniquely aware of their surroundings at all points, okay? And and in in my example with fishing, you know, that can be everything from wind direction to water temperature to water clarity to time of year, bottom composition, you know, what the fish's mood is, what the barometer is, the weather conditions, sunny, rain, cloud. So there's a whole magnitude or multitude of, of, controlling factors that come in that you're trying to keep you're trying to be aware of them okay and in fishing every one of them things that i just talked about makes a difference on where that fish is how they're going to bite what position they're going to be in do you want a fast moving bait a slow moving bait so there's there's so many things that 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 um, you know lead into that and when it comes to business i think it's the same exact thing, okay, that I think that a lot of people come into business situations with blinders on. You know, they, they've tunnel got vision. the tunnel vision, and they're not paying attention. Now, I'm not saying that you don't need laser-like tunnel vision to be successful, because there's another part of it that your ability to focus on one thing is what may make you successful, mm. where you're not bouncing all over the walls in 20 different directions, but when you are in your laser-like focus for whatever your goal or whatever your business is, you have to be aware of your surroundings, okay? That, that is critical because it, it's, it's how you adapt and how you adjust to the outcome that you're receiving. It really is. And yeah. so the sensory piece of it um, is, is really important, I believe. I believe that it's key. Yeah, and I think you've... Um, hearing your story prior to this, we know, um, you know, it started with trail tape, but it's grown to all these different businesses. It just didn't start. It didn't start and stop with trail tape. <laughs> no, trail tape right? is probably the smallest. Right. Out of all but of them, you grew other businesses because of this sensory acuity. You locked in on one thing, but you were aware of your surroundings, and then realized, boom, there's another opportunity to grow, to create a new business, to monetize something that you're passionate about. Um, so can you kind of take us through like a quick timeline? We're not expecting stories for every single one, but can you kind of lay out for our interns exactly, you know, it started with trail tape and then went to this, went to this and went to this. And then I guess I just want to really understand and put the dots together on how this all kind of really came to be. Okay. A, a quick rundown on the businesses uh, and I'll try to keep it as simple as possible. Okay. Well, yeah. But understand that everything relates back in one way or the other to fishing, outdoors, hunting, that industry, because mm-hmm. that's the industry that I come from. Awesome. Um, you know, one of the first companies we had was it was Capra's Marine Electronics. It was based on a need that uh, my father was repping a line called Hummingbird Electronics at the time. We needed a service center. In the service center, there, there wasn't a service center, so we started one. 
basically. And, and I, my first job was fixing depth finders and trolling motors at 18 years old, right out of high school. Um, and you were fixing the Hummingbird? Hummingbird, back then it was yeah. the old flasher, a whole different style of, of electronics. But, okay. um, you know, from there we actually started, because we had the consumers coming in and the customers coming in, we went into Capra's Sporting Goods. We started a sporting goods store. You know, it's, it's no different than you guys amplifying the numbers on the podcast. For us, we had all these people coming in to this one location. We might as well open a sporting goods store, sell them more product. You know, from the from the sporting goods store, um, later on we start in that same process. We started a company called Shore Lunch, and that's a whole story in itself that I can get into. But um, my point is, is that the Shore Lunch, I went to do a, a a cookout, okay, at a local cable television show. They called. They just wanted to know how to cook fish. They had nothing to do with fishing. And I was selling Shore Lunch, this, this breading batter mix company. It ended up being, you know, our biggest company to date. And I went in there to show them how to cook fish. And the producer afterwards says, Tony, have you ever thought about doing your own sporting or outdoor fishing show and outdoor? I said, no, I haven't. She said, well, would you like to? I said, absolutely, sign me up. <laughs> and, so, and so that's how, so I mean, my, my, the point in that is, is I went in for one thing. There was an opportunity that was given, but every one of them ancillary businesses went back to the beginning, to our base, okay? To back to, to our why. Mm-hmm. Okay, in a roundabout way. And so, you know, we started a television show that, you know, aired for, I don't know, 15, 17 years. Uh, at the end, we were national with it, you know, wow. airing to 20 million households. And it took me from. Uh, everywhere from Brazil, the Amazon River, to uh, polar bears in Alaska. That's okay. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, where do I start? What, yeah. like, what, what part do that's, I want That's to what I was saying earlier. It, you know, we could almost do two or three podcasts, <laughs> and, and, and you know, in order to to capture yes. it all. Um, well, first thing I want to say, yeah, um, I knew you started, or you had a really prominent TV show. Sierra's actually on it. Um, Sierra's in this room right now. Um, previ- uh, previous marketing mm-hmm. intern, a guest. Um, so, you know, if you guys ever want to go and watch Sierra at, like, what, age eight? Maybe less? Two? Oh, two. Sure. <laughs> go ahead and yeah. check that out. But, man, that is what an unbelievable opportunity. And I'm sure you never really expected yourself to be doing that kind of stuff, right? No, but what, <laughs> what it did is is television was a great um, – a great way to promote all the other businesses. Right. You know what I mean? Yes, yes, there was a way to to monetize and make money on the television show, um, but it was really another way for us to advertise the rest of the products. You know, whether it was a, another product, I'll give you an example. Another product that we came up with was called AquaView. It was an underwater camera. And that that idea came from I was shooting I was trying to figure out how to shoot underwater for the television show. The problem was we were putting it, our cameras in an aquarium and just sticking them over the side of the boat. You know this was before GoPros and everything. And I said, you know, if I could drop that thing down on a cable and actually show the people and the viewers what the bottom, what's really going down in fifteen or eighteen feet of water, it'd be fascinating. So. We started doing a little research, and we invented a camera called the AquaView. It's still out there today. And 
What happened was, as soon as we went to market with it, the Minnesota legislature decided that it was illegal. Somebody introduced legislation that said, you know what? Viewing fish underwater, it should be illegal. So they introduced legislation in St. Paul to outlaw the under... Now, let me tell you. That's great for marketing. Yeah. Now <laughs> <laughs> they're writing articles. This thing is so good that they want to outlaw it. Now, understand, you're just viewing the fish. It doesn't make them bite in, but... Anyhow. Is that the connection they're trying to make, though? It's yeah. Like, this is like cheating? It's like cheating because you're seeing the fish underwater. You're, you're, you've got an unfair advantage. Fish have rights, too. <laughs> <laughs> so, so check this out. Here's what happens. So all of a sudden, it makes that story makes the local news right. deal. It catches on the AP and goes nationally. Okay? 60 Minutes comes and does a story with us. Dan Rather comes. The biggest television people in the country are coming to Minnesota to find out about this Aquaview camera that's going to be um, made illegal because it gives the fishermen a... It was, you hit it right on the head, Declan. It was the best advertising we'd ever seen. So we took a negative and turned it into a pot. Now, I understand, I didn't think it was too positive at the time that they were going to... Sure. But all of a sudden, when you're on 60 Minutes, you got, you find out, hey, this ain't a bad deal. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so the television show, by trying to figure out how to, how to capture underwater footage better, created another company called Aquaview. And so it's, it's, again, it comes back to that sensory acuity and recognizing opportunities. You know, I, I think, Declan, I, you and I talked about this uh, a while back, you know, what makes, you know, somebody when they're in marketing like that, what separates them? And, yeah, you guys are all going to college. You're learning all the most common, you know, marketing 101 things. But it's being aware of your surroundings as you're practicing it. Because right. in, in my case, every single situation stemmed from something I was currently doing and then recognized a gap in the market, a hole an opening, a product, a service, something I could do faster, better, cheaper, quicker, or just, I mean, I always said, if I can drive a semi through this, that's the hole I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. Right, you set that as your expectation, and that's a crazy expectation, but you'll land somewhere that that then motivates you to get to that next level, right? It it forces you to look for it. Yeah. Have you ever heard of the Airbnb story? I have do you not. Know what, do you know what Airbnb is? I do know what Airbnb okay, is. Okay, so the CEO, his model was um, he works on a five-star program. So if you host someone, the best you can get is five stars. But he was like, well, wait, what if what's a six-star experience? What's a seven-star experience? What's an eight-star? He got all the way to nine. And by the time he got, or nine or ten, by the time he got to ten, it was you got home, got uh, picked up from the airport. They took you back to the house. You go in, you meet Bill Gates, you hang out with Bill Gates for the day, you end up taking the rocket ship up to the moon <laughs> to hang out there, and then you come back down. Like the most insane, ridiculous story. But then that five-star view or that five-star review was so much more feasible of having the customer at the door waiting for you when you, you got dropped off and just saying, opening the door for you and saying, hi, how are you doing, and had a few snacks. Mm-hmm. That was his five-star. Think, and then he built up and was like, well, maybe if it was in California, they'd go surfing for the six-star. And seven-star, he'd just get it a little better, 
a little better, a little better. And then by the time you got to ten star, it's like this ridiculous idea. But it, then when when you reflected back on it, on that five star, on that base requirement, it was like we can do this. So I like how you were saying if I can drive a semi truck through here, yep. I can't imagine how that would be. But you know, maybe driving a scooter through there might be the way to actually. Well, get and let me add on to that because <laughs> there, there's another point to that is you know. Nowadays, with, with uh, the whole social media and everything, you know, you think about a Facebook and it's a billion-dollar company. Let me tell you, in a lot of situations, yeah, I, I'm not saying don't shoot for that multi-billion-dollar company with, right. you know, your goals or aspirations, but sometimes the sweet spot is that smaller area, okay, where the big guys, it's too small for the big guys, but it's too big for the small guys. Now, think about what I'm saying. You know, in a lot of cases, I, like in my case, in the shore lunch example, when when we created we created a new company or a new category was shore lunch, but it was too big for the general mills and them types of people, Pillsbury's and that, really to go into it. But it was too big for the guy in his garage to be able to compete with us. A lot of times, that sweet spot is right in the middle, where the big companies. They they don't they're they're too big, mm-hmm. you know. Big corporations don't move very quickly. I mean, that, that's the beauty of of entrepreneurship, is is being able to move quick. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and <laughs> you gotta beat the guys in the garage. You gotta be better than the guy in the garage, but you sometimes don't have to be the biggest company on the planet. Yes, and I think we're trying right now to figure out we have. Podcasters don't need that much equipment to figure it out, so we can you can be as small as you want, but then trying to figure out what market to hit and how to actually approach this um, and find what would be the long-term goal, and that's kind of what we're trying to establish right now as we go through the day-to-day process. But one thing that I would love to touch on more is with Shore Lunch. So that was a huge um, semi-truck-sized window that you guys were able to hit, and if you could take us through that process with starting Shore Lunch and how it took off, that would be awesome. Shore Lunch is a... Uh, Phenomenal story, and uh, let me tell you how, how that that company actually started. It's, it's kind of funny. Um, so remember, I said that my father was in the repping business. He was a big uh, sporting goods rep. He, many, he represented the manufacturers in the Upper Midwest. Here, he was one of the top reps up in this area. And then another guy by the name of Al Linder, who started the In Fisherman, and, and Declan knows knows that who Al Linder is. Um, Lindy Little Joe Tackle, In Fisherman, and and Al and Al and Ron started that company. But Al is a, a I mean, he's as straight laced as they come. He's, mm-hmm. you know, he's a very religious guy. He doesn't drink, doesn't smoke, doesn't. I mean, he don't do nothing bad. So him and Ted are on their way to a seminar that they're doing. This is back in like the late seventies, early eighties. They're on their way to do a seminar down in Iowa, and my dad gets in the car. And there's a bag of white powder sitting on the on the dash. And Teddy says to Al, he says, Al, what the hell is that? What do you got this white powder? And Al says, no, no, no. He says, Teddy, Teddy, that's some, he says, what do you think? And he says, that's some fish batter somebody gave me okay, to try. And so... Anyhow, so they, they had like four hours to travel to the to the show that they were going to. And now you got a marketing guy and a television guy together for four hours with a fish batter sitting in front of them. And they said, wait a minute. Nobody has sold a food product 
in the sporting goods industry ever before. Yeah, there's a lot of people that are making it, you know, in their own recipes, but nobody's commercially did this. So right then and there is where the idea was spawned. As soon as they got back, my dad went to Pillsbury and says, Pillsbury, he got an appointment and says, we got a way to sell a food product in the fishing tackle industry and you guys aren't doing it. They thought it was a great idea. They gave them a whole bunch of money. They took in and, and hired a big marketing executive, you know, $100,000 a year guy, $250,000. Now remember, this back in the early 80s. This yeah. is a ton of money. Yeah. Okay, they give them a $250,000 ad budget for this marketing guy, and they go out, and the, you know, Al and, and Ted and all them guys, the marketing guy from Pillsbury, Pillsbury was running it at the time, they went out and they spent all this ad money and never had the product placed. Okay, it's it's like marketing 101, don't do this. <laughs> you, you don't spend a quarter of a million dollars before your product is even on the shelf, right? The product died, everybody lost interest in it, and we went in and said, listen, we'll buy this company out, okay? And I knew, I says, if, if I go on the road, and I go to Minnesota and Iowa, and I, I go to sports show after sports show, month after month, handing samples out, we'll get this product going. And, and, and that, that idea came from a, a lady by the name of Rose Tatino, who started Tatino's Pizza. And well, and she also, wasn't it used to be Grace High School? Yeah, Tatino bought, Grace. And then now they just turned it into Tatino Grace. <laughs> I had no idea. Okay, how do I recognize that name? That's for, okay. So Rose she, Tatino gave us the advice. She started... The very first commercial pizza, yeah. okay? She was one of the first to... I mean, the pizzas that you buy at the store right now, yeah. that was basically her concept because no, same basic premise as Shore Lunch. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody had, had commercially did it. So in her case, she did pizzas, but she told us one day, she says, if you're ever going to get this going, you got to go sample it. You go taste test, you go give samples out. That's how you'll get this product going. We never forgot that. We bought the company back. I went out, and I'm telling you, I went on the road for five months a year and did nothing but cook fish and hand out little tiny bite-sized samples of fish at thousands of sports show. I mean, I was basically a carny, but it was a great way to get that product started, okay? And, I mean, I literally would. I'd go, I'd start in January, and I wouldn't come back till May, and I'd just go from sport all over the country. And, awesome. But that created a base that nobody else could beat. Okay, I knew once I got it in their hand and they tasted it and I sold them three boxes of it there at the sports show, I was done. I had a custom, and so I always thought of it as I was planting a seed. Okay, every time I, so it wasn't work because I knew I was planting a seed every time I did it. Long story, somewhat shorter, that company, you know, we took that company from one single box of fish breading and batter mix to 55 different products at the end everything from you know marinades and spices and oils and turkey deep frying and uh, soups and all kinds of different things that uh, that it ended up being and it all started and let me add that i mean we were selling you know the biggest retailers on the planet i'm talking walmart target you know menards i mean all the major retailers and the other thing we were able to do was to take and the class of trades, you know, we started off, here's another adaptation. 
we started off figuring we would only sell that product to the fishing industry. We ended up in grocery. Didn't take long to figure out that, you know what? The guy bought it at the sport show. He brought it home. They cooked it, but the wife went back and bought it at the grocery store. So now we got to be in grocery stores. And we ended up in hardware stores just because of the demographic. And I think we had about eight or ten different classes of trade towards the end. I mean, I was selling Bed Bath & Beyond. No. (laughs) That's when he had to get out, though. That's that's when he sold the company. That's when he sold the company. That was too far. Man, when we can sell Bed Bath & Beyond fish batter, we're doing something. (laughs) Wow. But, I mean, it was a great success story that, I mean, literally started from two guys with an idea, finding a gap in a market, creating a, a, a category I call it creating a category and uh, it went from you know virtually nothing to a multi-million dollar company and so we were we're real proud of that yeah no, that's as awesome. you should be that's, yeah. I mean that's a story that um, yeah and we could go on for forever, hours yeah. just on, on that one thing in that um, Declan would you like to yeah so I mean you were able to really capture that whole Minnesota market and that whole this Minnesotan demographic with the fishing and hunting with shore lunch and a lot of other things um looking forward now as far as um like you've really made it as a fisherman now and there's not a lot of people that can say that I remember you told me that before it's like it is not easy to make it as a fisherman like you can go out and fish on the weekends and have your day job but having fishing as your full-time job is very uncommon um and uh as podcasters we really want to understand um and show our marketing interns how you were able to accomplish that and i know you've had all these different business and what but i would ask you like what is that it factor or what is that winning edge that you've been able to have over all the other fishermen well understand that game has somewhat changed now i mean with the, sure. the bass and i mean and, and there's there's a whole story behind that uh with the young guys that are coming up now yeah we can uh, talk about more of that yeah we'll say so i mean there, there's a lot that that goes into that but you know Nobody's really, I mean, a handful of guys have, have made it in the fishing industry strictly tournament fishing. Okay, but understand that tournament fishing also includes, you know, their sponsorship uh, requirements. There's a multitude of things that go in. It's not just fishing, and, and very few people make it in just fishing. Sure. But I can tell you that the most successful anglers on the planet, and like I said earlier, I've been around most of them, um, the number one thing is is they're fierce, fierce competitors. Okay, they want to win so bad. Okay, and but it's not only the winning. You know, when you come in second place, the next thing that they do invariably is they're uh, compulsive learners. Okay, not only do they want to win, but when you don't win, and winning is it is addictive in itself. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think you guys seen that actually yesterday with your live podcast. Right? Yes, I mean, you guys won. You got a, and I mean, well, we, if, th- we thought we won. We don't know if we <laughs> well, but I mean, it's in the sense that you took it from the studio we're in today to a live. You know what I mean? So, sure. in the live performance, in my mind, you guys won. Sure. Okay, and okay. And, and I think that that um, not only, like I said, are they do they want to win fiercely? Once they, even if they come in second, they want to learn from that experience. And some of the, and this, and I might add this, this is the same thing in, uh, in business as well. So not only are they fierce, 
they're compulsive learner learners okay they they really really truly want to know every aspect of their game okay and they're studying it and they're learning and when they do come in second they want to know why they came in second they don't go back saying hey i lost they ask why did i lose mm-hmm. you know what, losing is not i never say it's not a bad thing but you know, you got to learn from that. Yeah. And then the third thing that we talked about early, earlier is the sensory acuity. You put all three of them things together, and you're going to have a, a successful, I don't care if it's a fisherman, a business person, whatever thing that they're going after in life, you put them three things together where they truly, truly believe it in their core, you got a winner. Mm-hmm. I love that. And the second thing really is something I was able to learn through St. Thomas football. Our head coach really preaches... Um, when you fail, it opens the door of the opportunity to grow if you recognize it. If you don't recognize it with the sensory acuity, the third door, that failure is just going to be a failure and you're going to continue to beat a dead horse, as people would say, and not grow from it. So instead of just being, instead of looking at failure as a, a situation when you lost, exactly a negative, that, a negative um, having the competitive, thriving aspiration to become number one, you need to look at that and say, hey, I failed this way other person did it this way, maybe I should try it that way, or there's another way to do it. And, I mean, your whole story has been finding that new way to do it, and that's exciting in itself. Like, that's getting me jazzed. What 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 do I need to be looking for now? Like, I need to keep my eyes, don't have the tunnel vision all the time, being aware. I mean, those are the situations. I can tell you that in, in, like, in my tournament situations, every tournament, I've fished hundreds and hundreds of tournaments. Um, I learn more by coming in second or third or fourth or fifth place than I did by winning. Because when you win, you dialed it in perfectly. Mm-hmm. Okay, that, that was, you, you really didn't learn as much when you won. Yeah, you learned that you could beat the competitors, but when you came in that second or third, that's when you, I learned the most. Mm-hmm. There's no question. Yeah, and I think what Andrew said perfectly was, you know, now we have to be more aware. And it, like, yeah, we can have that, uh, that just be laser. more aware and yeah, laser focus, but have the sensory acuity. Um, one thing that's really great, um, if you're able to tap into it, is the social media aspect. So we have a million different platforms now that our podcast is on, and you know we push out information to other people at, all the time. But being able to recognize what other people are doing and you taking little tidbits from them is so important. Um, so what, like, what do you think um, with social media in the marketing world right now? Um, like, what do you see as the most effective tool uh, for people to push their product out? Is well, it social media? Do you yeah. think it is? I mean, like, you're not the technology <laughs> guy, right? But That's, I want to pre-premise, or premise that right out of the shoot. Here's what I can I am not the social media expert on yeah. all things digital. But what I can tell you that, you know, from, from my experience of, of just business in general, is I don't think that your question is what's being done today. That's the most important. It's not the Facebook today. The question you got to ask yourself is where is it going two years from now, five years from now, and and stay on the cutting edge of what's coming, not what currently is here. Because as fast as this and as rapidly as this technology is changing, if you're asking what it is today, you're already behind. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's a great point. And I think I could premise or build off that question with something that you kind of mentioned off off show was um, how you said people are focused too much on their product. 
Um, what do you mean by that, and why do you believe that's the case? There's a, <laughs> there's a, a term I coined uh, called the three Ds of marketing, and I call it design, deploy, and then develop. And what I mean by that is, is so often I've seen people come up with a product and they spend 100% of their time on product design to the point that they have it perfected, okay? They, they don't take and, and look at the next piece of it is deploying it, which the marketing guys may, ta- may tell you that that's um, proof of concept, I, I just happen to call it deploying it. Mm-hmm. And then lastly is, is to develop it and to, to go a little more in depth on that. A lot of the products that, that we've created and, and over the years, you create the concept first. Yeah, you got to see it through and have a vision to what that product is going to be at the end. I'm not saying you blindly only, but I, I would only produce my products 60% of the way because that last 40% is what takes all your time. Then I would take that product and I would deploy it. I would go to the sport shows. I would I would do you know all the the uh, the selling the, the, or the, the the market studies, and I would oh, take sure. it the to, market research. Yeah, the market research. I'd take it to the to the retailers. I'd I test it in my own store. You know, I and so that was deploying it to see if I could really prove that concept. Like I said, that mm-hmm. and then lastly, after I had developed it proved it, and sold it, okay, after I would get real retailers and companies to buy it, then I would figure out how to actually develop it, <laughs> okay? So I, I think that what happens is, is, like I said in the beginning, that people focus too much on the actual development of it, and all of a sudden they're two, two years into a, a product development. They've spent their life savings on it. And all of a sudden they go out and say, all right, I just created the best product on the planet, Mr. Retailer, Mr. Internet, you buy it from me, and and you've missed 80% of the game. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's what I mean by that. I think that that a lot of people miss it by creating it all the way through instead of testing it all the ways. And you don't have to develop the product or service or brand or whatever it is you're doing. Now, in you guys' case with the podcast, it's a little bit different, but in an actual product category mix, that I think it's it's key because plus it allows you to develop more products simultaneously. Yeah. So you can be doing two or three different projects at the same time. Okay. And that, and I think that's key because one of them is going to hit one out of three or one out of five, or eventually you're going to find one that that you do hit. You know that that. Knocks out of the park. Grand, grand slam mm-hmm. home run. That's, okay. that's a great point. And I think one thing about the podcast, too, that's very um, – that I've kind of seen grow is, like, for our podcast specifically, content is our product. Absolutely. And what's really cool about it is Andrew and I have the reins on what content people are hearing right now. So we can kind of control where exactly we want to take it. One thing that Andrew and I have really been trying to work on is niching down. So when you were talking about casting this wide net and, you know, having that sensory acuity, but at the same time, like focusing on, you know, what's really put, go chips all in on what you're really, really good at. So that's what Andrew and I are really trying to do right now is like niche down and figure out what we're best at from the year's work of the things that we've already done. And then now taking that to the next step, perfecting it and then well, not necessarily per- perfecting it behind doors, but just kind of pushing things out consistently yes. as much as we can. Mm-hmm. Finding 
what we do best, but also what hits home with the people that listen and the people that appreciate our um, story, our theme, what we're trying to put out. So yeah. it's, it, it goes both ways because not necessarily our favorite thing to talk about is the thing that people want to listen to. So we have to understand that like yeah. we need to hear our audience members just as much as we hear each other and the analytics that have come from that. For sure. Um, but should we wrap up the interview with a couple last questions? Because oh, I mean, this, this could go on for hours, and I think we, we know that at this <laughs> and point. And that's not a bad thing, though. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not a bad not. thing by any means. All right, so we're going to have two final questions. Andrew's going to give you the first of the final two. Yes, so this is a question we like to ask most of our guests, and it's um, a moment in which you were able to um, pivot and take on a new um, part of your life. So the, the question is, what is a pivotal moment in your life that has made you who you are today? You know, I, I don't think that there's one pivotal moment in my life. I think it's a, it's a multitude of things that I did before I was 30 years old. You know, um, I understood right away that I wasn't going to be the best academic student, okay? I mean, guys, I barely made it through high school, I'll be honest with you, okay? But I had the street smarts, and I what I did is I went to the people that I thought were the best whatever it is I was trying to do, okay? And quick story, I was 16 years old, and I figured out that, you know, I wasn't going to be a corporate guy. I knew that right away because I, I didn't, that just wasn't my deal. I didn't mm-hmm. rules. It's pretty impressive you figured that out at 16. There's sensory acuity right there. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, rules weren't, weren't that was, <laughs> I was pretty bad at following the rules. Sure. But so there was, I figured I needed to go into sales and marketing. And there was, at the time, there was a guy by the name of Tom Hopkins. He was the world's best salesman. You know, he sold, he was the best salesman. I'll never forget this. Uh, and he, he came to town, and it was $300. Now, you got to remember, back in, like, the early 80s, $300 to me was a life savings. So I spent the $300. I don't think I had it. I think I had half, and my parents loaned me the other half. And I went to this seminar. And the thing with that type of information and them types of seminars is you surround yourself. No, you got to remember, I'm 16 years old. Everybody in this seminar is 30 years old, and here I am at 16 sitting there. I mean, I'm not relating to nobody. But the information that I received in, in them types of, of moments set me up to, to point me in the direction that I wanted to go. And so, I mean, all of a sudden you surround yourself with the like-minded people in the people that, that have the same interest, um, you know, that are truly, tr- truly trying to win this game. And I spent the next, probably even to this day, I still listen to motivational things. You never stop learning. You never stop trying to, I mean, because the game's always changing. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. the game never stops changing. If you think you got it all figured out, you're wrong. Yes. Okay, sure. so, I mean, there was, I don't think there was one pivotal thing. I think it was a multitude of things. But I keep searching for the answers. That's great. That's awesome. Um, so we'll finish with this. Um, from the time that you woke up till right now doing this interview, um, what did you learn today? <laughs> you know, it's it's it, it almost comes back to that whole digital aspect. You know, you guys are. It, it's it's really interesting to me that you know how dramatically different you guys are. Than the, when I was at at the age where you guys are at now, I had a question about that. So when you were growing up and you were twenty two years old, that's how old we are right now. Um, 
were the were the fifty sixty year old people in your life saying the same thing to you when you were that age, or are you saying like it's so much different it's now? So much different now. I, I wow. really believe that it's it's it's. Um, I think we were ahead of them. The technology piece hadn't came in. I think sure. we were a lot uh, uh, more uh, maybe street smart than the generation before. But you guys are more tech smart, yeah. you know. And as I look at that. You know, that change, that's a game changer, mm-hmm. this whole technology. And I, I think that it also has created enormous opportunity. I'm not saying that's a, it's not going away, let's face it. Mm-hmm. So you've got to figure out how to adapt in your world to it. And, and I think that there's more opportunities now than there ever has been mm-hmm. for you guys. And so it's an exciting time. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it really is. You know, I struggle with it, but I guarantee if I was 22 years old, I'd be coming at that thing with fire in my eyes. Mm-hmm. I promise you I would. And, I mean, sure. you're entering a room where you got bam, bam, boom, like four different technologies in your face, and you're like, why, why, do, I, why do you need all these? I got my pen and my paper right here. <laughs> and I, you're absolutely right. We need to figure out how to hone in this, because this is how we get our content out, and we have to have that fire in our eyes to say, this is how, this is the best way to do it. We have to be efficient with our time. We can't be plugging away on the editing process for over two weeks to figure out how to get it uploaded if we're trying to do this weekly. Yeah. So there's... Exactly. Yeah, speed to market. I, I just I'll throw that in real quick. That's I used to call that speed to market. You know, when I'd come out with a new product, okay, I I would determine how fast could I get that thing to market yeah. because the whole manufacturing, production, design, everything I said, if if that's going to take a year, uh, uh-uh, uh, I need to get that product out. And the way I would do it, you know, and part of the way I would do it is I'd already sold it, and I'd come back and I'd tell everybody, listen, we got to have this thing done in a month. <laughs> okay, we don't have we got to get this thing done now. We already sold it. Target's taking it. Mm-hmm. Okay, we got to yeah. ship it in four months. We don't have no time. So speed the market. <laughs> That's called speed the market, and the quicker that you can get that content onto the, you know, out there. Mm-hmm. That's key. There's yeah. no question. It's key. <laughs> we struggle with getting our podcast. I think we were how many podcasts in before we got it on iTunes? Uh, three or four, uh, maybe six. Six, yeah, yeah. like four or five. Probably four or five. But you're learning. The we point said, is you're learning, it was a, you're adapting, it was an awesome you're changing, process. and you're, that's, that's, that's how you win. Yes. There you go. Well, uh, thank you so much. I mean, this has been roughly an hour of just awesome experience for me just to motivate myself to figure out what I need to do next and what this podcast needs to do next and I know our marketing interns will have a pleasure hearing your story because we sure do yeah guys it's been great coming on I really do appreciate it hopefully we'll get to do it again soon and Absolutely. and like I said back pocket podcast is soon to be the number one <laughs> the number one nation in the nation podcast So that was our interview with uh, Tony Capra. Thank you, Tony, for coming on. Thank you, Sierra, for arranging it. We appreciate all, everything that you did for us. Yeah, uh, have to let Sierra know that she was there, taking pictures of us the whole time. Mm-hmm. Uh, big time photo credits to Sierra, and just big time credit overall for having a phenomenal, motivating father. It's just a great time. Love the Capra family. Love the Capra family. Huge Capra guys. Mm-hmm. So let's trap the puck on the interview, and let's transition to the back end where we feel like we are at our best. This is when we notice that we um, feel. Very fluent, very efficient with how we go about discussing various topics, and we're always consistent. So, um, with that being said, let's hit home these last two segments. What did you learn in a feel-good story? I'm in. Uh, I'll start it off first. Thank you for the introduction. The back end is always very important to us, very near and dear to our hearts. Um, But the first thing I learned is companies that create candy 
that are eaten in handfuls have to be very smart about the flavors they choose. So think about like uh, jelly beans. That was a big thing back uh, in Easter not too long ago. Um, jelly beans, they do this thing where they have like 30 flavors and they're all very intricate flavors so that they want you to take one at a time and taste each one. Or they, and then they have like a game with it where like there's jelly beans that are the same color and they're both green. One's like puke and the other one's like green apple. Um, so they have that game, but like starburst jelly beans, they have like four flavors. They all are, you know, the starburst colors all have individual flavors, but when you eat Starburst jelly beans, you just grab a handful of them and just throw them in your mouth and eat them. And it tastes good, right? Mm-hmm. Skittles have to do the same thing, where it's they have all their different colors, you know, taste the rainbow, but all of them together have to have a good taste as well, as well as each individual one. So think about when you're creating these flavors, it's like I have a green apple, I have a grape, I have a cherry, I have all these different ones, but I have to make them in a way so that they all taste good each individually, two together, three together, or all of them together. I just never really thought about that, but like when I was thinking about your show, I was like, oh, that's something I learned. That's pretty good. That's Hey, you're always informing our marketing interns about something that they might be able to take to a dinner party. Yeah. Love it. Sure. What did I learn? Um, I learned that drinking a glass of water, right when you wake up and drinking a glass of water before you go to bed, has just made me feel better. So um, you're not hungover is what you're saying? No. Just good. I mean, not even that. Just like in <laughs> life. Like when you wake up for a, a Tuesday morning. Okay. Drink a glass of water. It's better than caffeine for, really? before you start your day. And then drink a glass of water before you go to bed because your body um, uses a ton of energy and you need to stay hydrated for sleep. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I People forget about sleep and how, uh, I mean, you're regenerating your body. It's like charging your phone at night. It's, you're charging your body. Yeah. So but might as well put some water in it. Put some water in it. Help out the efficiency of the whole process. Right. Because, like, when you wake up and you have to go to the bathroom, it's like, usually you're just pissing yellow, and it's like, oh, man, I'm dehydrated, now i got to chug a ton of water in the morning. But if you drink, if you just bookend your sleep with water, problem solved, right? Granny might need to pee in the middle of the night, but... Oh, yeah. So that might be tough for a 40-plus demographic. Yeah. Um, but Why? Because they struggle getting out of bed? No, no, because they have to pee way more than us. I don't know how it works, but I just know that to be true. Allegedly. <laughs> So that's what we learned. <laughs> Great things to learn. I hope you guys took away from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's finish up with a feel-good story. The uh, Well, first, the marketing intern of the week is uh, Mark Amick, along with Mr. and Mrs. Amick. Care to elaborate, Andrew? Yeah, so Mark just went through surgery, and um, he's just been a little couch-ridden, but his ability to uh, be a second-string producer has been top of the line. Yep. He's always there, ready to give us some content ideas. Staying positive. Staying positive, ready to work. And then Mr. and Mrs. Amick making sure that Mark is doing as well as he can so he can help out as much as he can help us out as much as he can. I mean, it's just a step-by-step process. Follow the pyramid. Yeah. It's, it's definitely one to take note of, and they deserve their marketing intern of the week. Yeah, absolutely. And did we give uh, Mr. Amick his koozie? We that. finally did. Okay, yeah. So there you go, Mr. Amick. Uh, drink your beers uh, this week uh, with our koozie. Obviously, tell your friends about the koozie. You know, um, but to finish off um, our feel-good story, uh, hibernation season is over. I think we are putting a final stamp on it. That season is kaput. No more cold weather. We were all sick of it. It's gone. Mother Nature says. Easy 60 degree weather, now shut up. <laughs> and now we're here, we're excited. I'm so ecstatic for uh, the weeks coming. I just love warm weather. It's just like, 
it's the best thing ever. You just want to be outside like all the time. Cabin fever it was like a real thing, um, and I'm just ready to get after this week. Um, such warm weather, warm hearts, everything. Uh, <laughs> any other final comments? <laughs> all right. Well, hey, have a great weekend, marketing interns. Have a great week. Sorry. Um, enjoy the weather. Get outside. Play. Have fun. Listen to our podcast. Maybe. Uh, see you next week. Take care. Take care.